of God's Word this morning to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, you may already fall open at that spot as we have looked at this idea of the Beatitudes, looking at this series called Blessed. I want to talk with you this morning about some things that most people want to avoid talking about, uh, namely the topics of sorrow and sin. You know, those two topics fly in the face in the the world in which we live. We don't like sorrow. We want entertainment. We want laughter, pain, no, pleasure, yes. And we don't want to focus on sin. Uh, We don't uh, want to think about that. We want to focus on living the good life. We want to eat, drink, and be merry. We want personal fulfillment and freedom and happiness at all costs. And so these two topics, sorrow and sin, they don't draw a crowd. Uh, They don't get top billing. Uh, They don't make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. We don't want to talk about them. We don't want to think about them. Some maybe even here today would not have come had they known we're going to talk about sorrow and sin today. Um, Because really, what good could come from thinking about these things? What good could come from sorrow and sadness? Um, But then we think about the words of our Lord Jesus in the second beatitude we find ourselves this morning. And really... It should cause us to stop dead in our tracks because he says these words, Blessed are those who mourn, those who are sorrowful. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, those who sorrow, those who are sad, those who grieve. How in the world could that be that someone who's sad and mournful and sorrowful, how could it be that they are blessed? And to make matters even more confusing, That word there, the Greek word used there, is the strongest word in that language for sorrow. So it's not just a little bit of sorrow. This is deep sorrow. It's deep sadness. But what does it mean when Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, there's all sorts of mourning in our world. There's sorrow and mourning over the loss of a loved one. There's sorrow and mourning over the loss of a relationship and missed opportunities and dreams and hopes. Uh, There's sorrow over sickness and pain. There's sorrow and mourning in our world over losing in sports and politics and finance. Uh, uh, There's sorrow over being caught in the wrong. 
of being fined, of being imprisoned, of receiving a ticket. Uh, There's sorrow and mourning over not getting your way. We could go on and on, couldn't we? There's all kinds of sorrow and sadness and grief and and mourning in our world. And uh, some of this grief is more serious and more deeply felt than others, but there's all sorts of sorrow uh, in our world. And we grieve for all sorts of reasons. And the interesting thing is, you know, both the godly person and the ungodly person, they both grieve. Now, they should grieve differently, mind you, but this is something we all have in common. We all experience sorrow. We all experience grief. We all mourn in some way. And the interesting thing is, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What in the world is he talking about? Uh, Who is he talking about there? Is this just a blanket statement that covers everyone and everything and all sorrow and all mourning and it just, it just covers everybody. Well, certainly not. Um, even in Scripture, we see differences in the outcomes of grief. Uh, not all are blessed and covered. In fact, think about uh, two of the disciples of the Lord Jesus. You know, Peter, um, we like Peter, don't we? Uh, the more we study the Peter, the more we see ourselves in Peter. And, and Peter, he denied the Lord. And he was sorrowful. He was grieving. He was mourning over that. And yet we find what? He was forgiven and he was restored. But then we come to Judas Iscariot who betrayed the Lord Jesus. And afterwards, what does it say? He was sorrowful. He was mourning. He was grieving. But he was not comforted. In fact, if you read his story, he actually went out and he hung himself. And so this cannot be just a blanket statement covering everybody in every situation. And so to understand what Jesus is talking about, we need to remember where we are in Scripture and who Jesus is speaking to at this moment. Now you know that we're at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're in this section known as the Beatitudes. And these were primarily spoken to His disciples. There were others in the audience, no doubt, but these were addressed to His followers. And you understand, beloved, that a lost person is going to know grief in this life, but sad to say, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. And the grief that they know here cannot even be compared, really, to the grief they're going to know if they die without the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this beatitude is addressed to followers of the Lord Jesus, to Christians. And the Lord Jesus says to those of us who know Him, by the way, if you don't know Him, please let me invite you to know Him today. Repent of your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd love to help you with that. But we know that He's talking to His followers, the believers, the the citizens of His kingdom, and it says there that you're blessed when you mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But the question then is, well, what extent does this cover? Is this speaking of all of our grief? Or just some particular grief specifically? Now, for the child of God, you know that it is true that there's coming a day where we're not going to experience any more sorrow, any more grief, any more tears. Uh, in fact, if you look at Revelation 21.4, it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Hallelujah. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. That's true about all people that know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's coming a day we're not going to know any grief, any pain, any sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more crying. 
And that's true for the believer. And while it's true, though, this beatitude here doesn't seem to be primarily talking about sickness and death and pain. You've got to consider the context, where it is in the Scripture, where the words were spoken, what came before it, what came after it. Now, you know, this is the second beatitude. And the second beatitude comes where? It comes after the first beatitude and before the third beatitude. Everybody awake? Everybody tracking, right? Now, the first beatitude said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And last time we talked about what that meant. Being poor in spirit means that you're spiritually bankrupt. You're a spiritual beggar. We're lost, we're undone, we cannot save ourselves, and we must come in our poverty of spirit, in our spiritual bankruptcy, in repentance and faith, in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the first beatitude. We're spiritual paupers. We're we're spiritually bankrupt. And so because of that reality, we move from that reality to the emotional response of mourning. Not just over anything, but mourning over our sin. And the second beatitude is talking about, as far as I understand it, is talking about mourning over our sin. Having sorrow over our sin. Not just sorrow over anything and everything, but we realize that I am poor in spirit, I'm spiritually bankrupt, and I mourn over my sin. You know, not everybody mourns over their sin. John Stott said it's one thing to be spiritually poor and acknowledge it. It's another to grieve and mourn over it. Confession is one thing. Admitting it's one thing, but contrition is another. But for the believer, he or she mourns over their sin. Now remember, these Beatitudes are not telling us how to get into the kingdom. They're describing those of us already in the kingdom. This describes us as believers. And so mourning over sin should describe us. But then we stop to say, but really how much mourning over sin have I really done in my Christian life? I feel feel a lot like Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges wrote this. He said, blessed are those who mourn. It's the beatitude that I approach with the greatest sense of inadequacy. I've done so little mourning over sin myself. Regret, yes. Sorrow, yes. Even tears on occasion. But Jesus was talking about very deep mourning over sin. Remember, it's the strongest word used. To mourn, to grieve, to sorrow over your sin. And I've got to be honest with you, beloved. These Beatitudes are so challenging me personally. As I'm learning and and digging into these words of our Lord Jesus, and I mean sentence by sentence even as we're going through them, I'm never really ready to preach on them. There's still a work in progress. I'm still processing these things myself, but you know what happens? Sunday comes and and I can't just come and say, well, y'all, I'm still processing it. Let's go home. You you, you expect the sermon. And and so I I come today and and I bring and I share with you where I am with them, but I'm amazed and how God is working in my own life through these profound, powerful sentences 
of the Lord Jesus. So we're talking about mourning over our sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And with that in mind, I want to talk with you about a couple of different areas. And I'm talking to believers here. And I want to ask this question and try to process it with you. Why don't we mourn over our sin more? Because he says they're blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And yet, I don't know about you, and, and maybe you have victory in this area, but I look at my own life and I, and I think, why don't I mourn over my sin more? And maybe you're here in the same boat today. Well, let me suggest a couple of reasons why I don't think we mourn over our sin more. Number one, I think we've forgotten just how ugly sin really is. We've forgotten just how ugly sin really is. The old evangelist Billy Sunday said one reason that sin flourishes is that it's treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. It's treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. The prince of preachers, C.H. Spurgeon, said, let a man once feel sin for half an hour, really feel its tortures, and I warrant you he would prefer to dwell in a pit of snakes than to live with his sins. Does that register with you? Do you see your sin in the same light that you see a rattlesnake? Or you see a pit of snakes? In fact, if truth be known, are you more concerned about snakes than you are your own sin? How we should mourn over sin. So much sin. We should mourn over our personal sin. You know, there's those sins of omission. The things that God tells us to do, that we don't do them. Then there's the sins of commission. The things that God says don't do, yet we do them. There's sin in thought and word and deed and action. In fact, let me share with you again. We've been thinking about this in light of other things we've been studying. Romans chapter 7, Paul, uh, Paul writing there. In verses 18 through 23, we see a struggle in his own life. Now this is the Apostle Paul. He says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Does that sound familiar to anybody here today? But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I, I, listen to what he says now. I love God's law with all my heart. He's come to faith in Christ. I'm convinced there in Romans 7. He's describing this. I, I love God's law with all my heart. A lost person doesn't say that. I love God's law with all my heart. And yet Paul says here, I'm struggling he said, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And so there's all this personal sin that we have and we should mourn over it and sorrow over it. But then we realize that it doesn't stop there. We realize that there's also sin in the church that we need to be mourning over. Sad to say we're living in a day, beloved, where there doesn't seem to be much difference between a person who claims to be saved and a person who doesn't. There's not much difference. There's a coldness in the church. Prayer meetings are sparsely attended. Even Sunday mornings are optional in the lives of so many people. And they only come if nothing else better is going on. And so there's sin in the church. There's sin in our lives. And then we go beyond that to where? There's sin in the world. And we should mourn over it. 
We realize that all around us are, are lost men and women and boys and girls and, and teenagers and, and they're destined for hell. There's so many who mock God and ignore God and even deny Him altogether. I mean, think about our own nation. We live in a nation, beloved, who coldly murders babies while weeping over a dead gorilla. Think about that. We live in a nation that's so confused, beloved, that we cannot tell the difference between a man and a woman and what bathroom they should go to. We live in a nation that celebrates what God hates. They throw parades, they do all kinds of things to rejoice in their perversion and sin. So I tell you, beloved, there's plenty of sin to weep over and to mourn over and have sorrow over. We've forgotten just how ugly sin is. And we've forgotten, I believe, just how beautiful our Savior is. Just how beautiful our Savior is. The spotless Lamb of Calvary. Emmanuel, God with us. It was our sin, it was my sin that nailed Him to the cross. It was our sin that that jammed that crown of thorns on His head. It was our sin that ripped the beard from His face. It was our sin who laid the whip on His back. It was our sin who spit in His face. It was our sin, our ugly, wicked, vile sin that bruised Him and bloodied Him and nailed Him to that cross and raised Him up between heaven and earth on Golgotha and cried out, it was our sin, my sin. I held the hammer. I hit the nails. I thrust the spear. It was my wicked, vile sin. And He volunteered. The spotless, beautiful Lamb of Calvary volunteered and said, I will give my life for you sinners. I volunteer. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And we should mourn we realize just what our ugly sin costs our beautiful Savior. But there's good news. Don't leave yet. Because there's a second part to the beatitude. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's hope today. We don't stop at mourning. Now listen. We don't stop at mourning. We don't mourn just to mourn. We're not just some kind of weird people that like to sit around and and be sad. There's a blessing in the mourning. He says, blessed are those who mourn. There's promised comfort. As John Blanchard said, biblical mourning for sin is not self-centered, but God-centered. It does not wallow in despair. It looks for deliverance. In fact, you know that passage from Paul I read earlier in Romans 7 where Paul is wrestling with his sin. And he's crying out, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. Here's where it ends. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he says in Romans 7.25, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. Because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Jesus Christ is the answer. There's hope. We don't just wallow in our sin. We look for deliverance. There's a blessing. Because he didn't just say, wallow in your sin. He says, no, blessed are you who mourn, 
for you shall be comforted. And so that brings up a second question. Are you still with me? And that is, how does God bless us by comforting us? What does this look like? Well, we don't have time to fully develop this, but let's hit some highlights, some high points. Notice that the attitude says that those who mourn shall be comforted. Future tense, right? Shall be comforted. But in reality, there is a now aspect to this as well. There's a now and later part to this. There's a present part and a future part. Let's walk through it. When you came, if you're a Christian today, when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you came in repentance and faith, and you received Him as your Savior, you were freed from the penalty of sin. You know, the wages of sin is death. We know we're destined for hell. We know that we're, going, we're lost, we're undone, but we're free from the penalty of sin. We were condemned, but now Jesus saved us. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Listen, this should throw your heart. So there is, that, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you, listen, from the power of sin that leads to death. So we're not only free from the penalty of sin, we're also free from the power of sin. In other words, we don't have to sin. Now, we do sin. We don't have to sin. We're not in bondage to sin. We're not serving sin. No temptation has taken us, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, not allowing us to be tempted above that we're able, but will provide a way of escape. We don't have to sin. Romans 6, 12 through 14. Listen to what it says. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you are dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Hallelujah. For you no longer live in the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Do you see why I can say to the child of God who's soaring over their sin, listen, you're blessed. You're blessed. As you sorrow, you shall be comforted. That brings us to the later aspect. We know that now we're free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin. We don't have to sin. But there's coming a day where we're going to be delivered. You shall be comforted. We're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. The presence of sin. In heaven, there'll be no sin. John MacArthur, a couple of weeks ago, there was a quote floating around social media. And I captured it. It said, when people ask me what appeals to me about heaven, he said, it isn't streets of gold or gates of pearl. He said, it's the absence of sin. I'm tired of sin. Now, I'll be honest with you. I can't even grasp that idea. Can you? We're, we're so surrounded by sin. We've, we've sinned all of our lives. We have a sinful nature. The idea of no sin. It, it's just, I can't get my arms around it. But it's a reality. It's coming. And so, beloved, we mourn but then we're comforted. How? Well, let me give you some additional ways that God comforts us. I'll put them all up at once if you want to jot them down. We know that God calls Himself the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. He, he, he calls Himself that. He's the God of all comfort. We know that God uses His Word, the Word of God, to comfort us. We know that He uses other believers to comfort us, doesn't He? Those who... Uh, experience things themselves. He uses them to comfort us. And here's a very interesting one. 
He gave us the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to indwell us. And beloved, these are some of the reasons why we can be mourning but be blessed. This is one of the reasons why we can have sorrow yet joy. Why we can have times of mourning and sadness and grief and yet times of rejoicing and joy. Do you see the balance? Do you see what God is saying here? In fact, I love the way Paul described himself in 2 Corinthians 6.10. Look at what it says on the screen. I put it on the screen for you. Here's the way Paul described himself. See if this makes sense to you. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. Do you see the balance there? We see ourselves and in my flesh dwells no good thing, but I'm in Christ and I have Christ. And so I'm sorrowful, I'm mourned over my sin, yet I'm always rejoicing. Why? Because He blesses me and He comforts me. I'm poor, I'm poor in spirit, and yet I'm making many rich. I have Christ. Having nothing and yet possessing all things. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Now, before we close up shop, I need to give you some encouragement. I want you to hear me, child of God. You would think that the more you grow in your faith, the more you become like Jesus Christ, and the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the less sin you'd have to deal with in your life. Let me say that again. So the more you mature and you become more and more mature in your faith, you would think, well, I'm becoming more mature. I have less sin in my life. But in reality, the opposite is true. And I want to encourage you. Because what happens is the more we grow in our faith, the more sin we see in our lives. Someone described it this way. Someone said it this way to help me. Let's see if it helps you. The Holy Spirit doesn't use the floodlight. He uses a flashlight. You know the difference, right? A floodlight, a big beam of light. He doesn't use a floodlight. He uses a flashlight. So what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, what, what that means is He doesn't show us all the sin in our life all at once. But as we grow, He continues to show us sin in our life. He, he doesn't take a big floodlight and say, Oh, look at all this sin. No, what He does is, as we continue to grow, He takes a flashlight, if you will, and He shines it over in that corner of our life. We see that sin. We confess it, repent of it, get right about it, forsake it. And then we continue to grow, and what does he do? He takes the flashlight and shines it over in that corner. And we see, oh, there's some more sin in my life. And we confess it, repent of it, forsake it, get right about it. And if we're not careful, what happens is we can become greatly discouraged. You say, well, I thought I was making progress, and, and, and the more I grow, the more I just, it's just like sin, it's just like more and more sin. No, what's happening is. You truly are growing in your faith. And the Holy Spirit is using His flashlight to show you more and more sin to deal with. In fact, the Prince of Preachers, Church Spurgeon, said it this way, the more holy a man becomes, the more he will loathe and mourn over the remains of indwelling sin. And so I want to encourage you because as you go throughout your Christian life, as you mature, as you grow, we never outgrow this idea of mourning over our sin because we are not practically speaking, sinlessly perfect yet. One day we will be. Now, positionally in Christ we are, but right now in our sanctification, in our growing, in our faith, we still have a lot of sin in our life and He works on those things. 
In fact, let me give you two examples and we'll close up shop. It was said of the godly Protestant martyr John Bradford. Now, you may not know John Bradford or know of him, but here's John Bradford was burned at the stake in 1555. He was a martyr. He was burned at the stake. He gave his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we can't even imagine that, can we? We, we get upset if somebody looks at us crossways because we said a blessing at the restaurant. But he was burned at the stake in 1555. And it was said of this godly man that scarcely a day passed when he did not weep over his sin. A man who was burned at the stake. Perhaps a better known example is David Brainerd. From church history, David Brainerd, some eight years after his conversion, God was blessing his ministry in a remarkable way. Here's what he wrote in his journal. He wrote, and I quote, At this time God gave me such an affecting sense of my own vileness, my own vileness and the exceeding sinfulness of my heart, there seemed to be nothing but sin and corruption within me. See, beloved, the closer you grow to the Lord Jesus, the closer you get to the light, the more the light exposes in our lives. But that is not a thing to shirk and move away from. In a sense, it's a thing to rejoice in. Because Jesus said what? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What do we know of this mourning over our sin? May God help us. Father, this has been a tough message. I know personally I've been processing this for some time. I know that there are those here obviously who just heard this message. And there's a lot to take in. There's a lot to think about, a lot to process. And I pray your Holy Spirit to seal these truths to our hearts, to bring the clarity and understanding of what it is to mourn over sin, to be blessed in the process, and to see the comfort that you promised Lord Jesus, I thank you for these powerful sentences, these beatitudes. And I know that I've only scratched the surface today. Help us to realize just how ugly our sin is. To take it seriously. To repent of it, to confess it, to forsake it. And allow your Holy Spirit to continue to show us indwelling sin and to faithfully and patiently work with us as we confess and repent and forsake that sin. Help us not to have a worldly-minded attitude that sin is just nothing, just something to play with. Help us to see it in all of its wretched vileness. It is worse than a pit of snakes. It is that which cost our precious Lord and Savior, our beautiful Savior, His very life on the cross. I pray today that you would use this invitation to work in hearts and lives. Someone today needs to be saved. Today be the day they come to faith in Christ. And then for those who the message has been addressed to, you would bring believers, Lord, to come and cast off their sin and to find your forgiveness and your blessing and your comfort. Help us to be sensitive to sin and not yield to temptation. Help us to mourn over it and deal with it in a biblical way. And we pray this 
In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 325, and the altar is open. And I would invite you to come. Maybe God has pointed out some area of your life that you need to come and repent and confess that. Please do that. Use this time. And I just pray God will use this message. A very, not an easy message at all, but a needful message. 325, the altar is open. You come today. You do business with God. Whiter than snow, Lord, whiter than snow. I shall be whiter than snow. 325, let's stand and sing. You come.